Welcome to State House Soundbites, WITF's Pennsylvania Politics Podcast. I'm Katie Meyer, State Capitol Bureau Chief for WITF. You can hear my stories on public radio stations across the state. We're in Little Amp's Coffee Shop. It's uh, a little after 11 a.m. It's like 11.30 on a Friday. We've had kind of a busy week. With me to discuss it are Liz from the Philly Inquirer and Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. You do a lot of stuff. Liz, what have you, you've been here for a couple of months now, right? Yeah. Your first yes. time on the podcast. It is. Thanks for having me. No problem. And how do you pronounce your last name? Because I never know how. Sure. Navratil. Navratil. All right. What was that again? Navratil. Navratil. You have a really complicated last name, but now that we've not said it. not a Smith it, or a Jones. No, it is not. <laughs> uh, and then we have Steve Essek, whose last name I can pronounce, uh, from the morning call. Hey, Steve. Hello. Thanks for having me again. Thank you for coming on. All right. So. Um, there's no budget still. We're in our third month uh, of not having one. So we're still working on the spending plan, and we saw a... Well, actually, we saw two plans technically today, one more prominent than the other. We saw them this week. Um, the plan that I think most people have been talking about that's been getting a lot of attention now has been from this conservative block of the House Republicans, um, and they basically they're calling it the people's budget or something like that. And it does not raise any taxes and it doesn't borrow any money. What it does is it transfers lots and lots of funds from what's called the state's special funds that pay for various projects. And they're saying there's surpluses in these funds. We can use this money. We're going to use this money. And they say it could raise $2.4 billion. So, Liz, you covered this um, for, you know, Pittsburgh and Philly. What, uh, what did you guys make of the budget? So I think right now the important thing to keep in mind is that what was presented this week may or may not actually be what we end up with. Um, This plan that was presented by a little over a dozen very conservative House Republicans uh, calls for transferring or rating special funds, depending on which political camp you're aligned with, um, from a variety of different places. Now, the governor's folks and some Democrats tend to argue that maybe not all of that money is actually up for grabs. The governor was very blunt uh, about his assessment of this budget. He basically said it was ridiculous. Um, And Steve, yeah. The governor's exact word, I think was nonsense. nonsense. Yes, but um, Liz is right. It, it, it did take a lot of money from from these uh, special accounts. The governor's administration is is now saying none of these roughly 16, 18 lawmakers bothered calling any of the agencies to find out if the money was earmarked. They just looked at a line items in various government accounts and assumed that it was surplus money. But the administration, uh, PennDOT is coming out. The Agriculture mm-hmm. Department Those is have coming been the big out. Ones so far. Yes, and DCED is coming out. The Department of Community and Economic Development and saying, "Hey, this money is earmarked for this project, that project, that yes. project over there, and it's all over the state." Uh, more importantly, I think, and I, I, I covered this thing too, and I pointed out in, in my original story that. All the lawmakers on the stage who presented that are from the Lehigh Valley, two from the Lehigh Valley, a bunch from central Pennsylvania, and uh, a couple from western Pennsylvania. Not one Republican lawmaker from southeast Pennsylvania. And that's important. That's a big transit area, and they are very, very tied up in you know, keeping that money going towards transit. And you guys are right. I mean, this is a really... 
tough, A, like, legal sell. They're going to have to figure out whether or not this money is contractually even available, and, you know, the state's saying it's not. And then it's also a really hard political sell. It's going to be really tough to get some of these Republicans from the Southeast to vote for this plan. Um, And now, I think a lot of uh, the Republicans were sort of especially miffed with Governor Wolf when he said none of these funds can be used. We're not going to try. We're not going to use any of them. Because they said, hey, maybe not all of them, but, like, we can use some of them. Well, you know, I, I'm just going to say, I, I would think if, if you're one of those Republican lawmakers and you're going to stand on a stage, you should do your due diligence, your reporting, and actually find out if any of that money was really earmarked or not. Um, and so be, before you stand there and you find out maybe your plan A isn't legal, some parts of it, the B, the money's not there, and see whether you really are going to start picking a fight with Southeast Pennsylvania because right. not only is that where most of the mass transit is, that's also where most of the state's revenue is from PIT, from sales tax. It's also where a boatload of of the campaign money comes from for the Republican caucus. So if they want to look like they're picking on a, a certain district or region of Pennsylvania, you know, you better have your um, you better do your homework, and I'm yeah. not sure that they did it. That seems to be the sentiment coming out right now. Well, and that does, and I mean, I think we also did hear a lot of these guys saying, no, this is, uh, people are misrepresenting these funds. There are surpluses. This won't lead to cuts. It, there's, there appears to be a lot of disagreement about what the truth of this matter is, right? Oh, absolutely. And to be honest, there are a lot of different funds that have very different definitions. I think they were pulling from something like 41 out of 200 and some funds that they analyzed. Um, and really, you would probably have to go through a fine-tooth comb every single account to figure yeah. out, can this one be used for this? Can this one be used for that? And the other thing people have talked about are federal grants. Sometimes you have to have a certain amount of money in an account to get your federal grant that matches, or you lose that as well. And exactly what level they went into there is still... It's unclear. Uh, And there wasn't a whole lot of detail on exactly what the rules were for each fund in the itemization of what they said they were pulling from. Yeah, and and it's funny is, is, um, you know, there's one account labeled something like the Volunteer Fireman Loan loan Account. Yeah. And I had an email from, from from a Republican lawmaker who was not on stage but who said, hey, we're not taking money from the Volunteer Fireman. Well... You're, you're taking money in some way, shape, or form if the account is called the volunteer fireman account. So maybe there's backlash at home, too, already as people start looking at this thing and that sort of thing. So I don't know if this will actually come up for a floor vote. If it dies in caucus or not, if it dies in caucus, then it just, you know, what was the point? But well, to, to be fair, let, 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 let me just finish. Yeah. To, to be fair, you know, if these lawmakers found five five bucks or five million bucks or fifty million bucks, more power to them. But then you got to ask the question: Well, why wasn't anybody looking for it sooner? And I think it also comes up, and this will get into sort of the dynamics of this discussion here, but it becomes almost politically unfeasible for the amount of money you would get to convince people to let go of this money. Um, so then, you know, go, talking about this, like whether or not it'll die in caucus, if it does die in caucus, what the utility of it is, you hear a lot of people kind of saying, you know, off the record, that these things have to be tried because... 
I think a good way to look at it is like everybody has to be uniformly sad that their idea didn't work before we actually go towards a compromise. We have to just throw everything, see if it sticks. When it doesn't stick, move on. And I mean, maybe that's a simplistic way of looking at it, but that's what we've seen with a lot of these plans. We saw House Speaker Mike Terzai, you know, launching his own no taxes plan that sort of floundered and failed uh, about a month ago. And so, um, you know, these things, they're just throwing them all out there. And so this brings us, too, to whether or not a more moderate plan could pass the House. So we saw one pass the Senate last month. Um, you know, all the other caucuses have sort of agreed to this plan. The governor has. It's just the House Republicans holding out. They've got a huge caucus, very diverse. So it's tough for them to pass anything. Now, um, we saw, we're seeing alternative plans now, right? And Steve, I mean, this could kind of, we saw one from Gene DiGiralmo, um, very moderate Republican, probably the most, you know, vocal moderate Republican that we have. And uh, he did a solo plan this week. Uh, now, it's not, his would have raised the personal income tax. It would have had a severance tax that was even larger than the Senate's one. Um, it's not, I guess it's not so much about this specific plan as it is about, like, what this plan represents in this caucus. So, I mean, could you, I mean, like, what is, what are the odds that a moderate plan could work eventually? Do you have any idea? The only way a moderate plan would work is if the House Republican leadership, specifically House Speaker Mike Terzai and Dave Reed, but lesser Dave Reed, because Mike Terzai seems to be pulling all the strings, is if he actually calls up a vote with the support of Democrats. If he's willing to allow a vote on some plan that that the 82 Democrats or most of the 82 Democrats will support and some of those more moderate Republicans will also support. If he's not willing to do it and he was not willing to do it in 2015, then no, no plan will ever get done. And so, yeah, Liz, we were talking about this earlier. I mean, it is really, like, this is a very tough, like, political nuance to get around that, like, leadership doesn't want to call up a plan that they can't pass with majority support from their own caucus, right? I mean, like, this is just, it gets very tricky. It is. My understanding is that there's always been this sort of unwritten rule in the House where the House Republicans really want to have some sort of plan that has the will of the majority, is what they call it. They want the majority of the majority to be on board with things. And not always. I mean, there were more moderate times back in, like, the Purcell era, I know, where, like, you could have had a plan that came up with, you know, support from the minority and it would have been okay but that was a, that was a different era of politics in pennsylvania and around yes. the nation yes not even that long ago but <laughs> anyway so yeah i mean this is a tough sell in a very very divided caucus and i mean you look at pennsylvania it's sort of a microcosm of like well i think the pennsylvania house anyway is a microcosm of what we're seeing in politics generally the senate's more willing to compromise but the house is very divided. I mean, well, they, they, they are very divided. And I, I kind of find a little irony in it that I, you often hear people in the House and Republican caucus, uh, like, for example, House Speaker Mike Turz, they want to be picking on him, but he's the one who says the liquor control board shouldn't have a monopoly in um, liquor sales. He says Pennsylvania's casinos shouldn't have a monopoly in gambling. But he says when it comes down to it, he wants his caucus to have a monopoly say in this budget, and it can't be done. There's lawmakers in 
that that you will not vote for any any sort of tax increase. But they won't go back to their local constituents and say, well, th- this is what's going to happen. You're going to lose this, this, and this locally. I, you know, I, are they fearful of uh, voter wrath and that sort of thing? Or, you know, they're, you can't govern in, in a vacuum, and a lot of this stuff is governing in a vacuum. We're not willing to do this, but we're not willing to talk about the ramifications of not doing it. So, um, you know, I, I, I really don't know what happens. Yeah, um, <laughs> bringing the economic principles into the legislature. But uh, I, I think what we're going to see, so they're coming back into session next week. Um, we're going to maybe see them take up this conservative plan. It's unclear if they can have the votes to pass this, even through the House. The people who support the plan say they will. It's, I mean, it's going to be close. I think no matter what, it's going to be tight. Uh, because, again, as Steve said, as you guys said, there's these Southeast Republicans who are going to have a real hard time you know, voting for this thing. So that's going to be a challenge. I think you're seeing the tone of these negotiations. Well, it's been weird so far, right? We're two months in, almost in our third month now, of the standoff. And it is a standoff. And we haven't seen a lot of vitriol yet from the part of the governor. And in previous standoffs, you do see vitriol because people get frustrated. Now I think it is starting to get a little tenser. It's starting to get... I mean, we heard Tom Wolf the other day calling things ridiculous and nonsense. And he's not a guy who speaks in strong terms a lot of the time. So I think that gives you a sense of where we're going on this. It's getting tough to negotiate. Now, anything else? Any final thoughts on the budget? Well, I think if you're not living in this Harrisburg bubble, it's sort of easy to lose track of the fact that a lot of these guys are already worried about an election that isn't on a lot of people's minds. Yeah. Um, we talk about it a lot for Governor Wolf, who's obviously coming up for re-election soon. Um, Mike Terzai may or may not throw his name into the race, depending on who you talk to. Um, so we have that dynamic there, but a lot of the rank and file are also thinking, okay, if I vote for this tax, who's going to send out mailers that attack me for voting for that tax? Or for transferring that money, or yeah. so on and so forth. So you kind of see these election dynamics. Yeah, Steve's yeah. giggling. A lot of levels. I, I, I am giggling. It is just, it's like, you know, a lot of these these lawmakers were, were elected to pass a budget and to pass legislation. They were not elected to hold constituent service. Constituent service is a point of their jobs, but the, it, it is, they, they act like it is... Um, the most important aspect of their job. There's a lot of stuff that is not being done here in the state capitol that Liz was right. I think she's hinting at it, that people outside here don't realize that, um, you know, there, there, there could be cuts coming. And I think that that might be Governor Wolf's problem, too, or, or his fault, is he hasn't been forceful at all on this. I well, that, I mean, I he was trying to be forceful in 2015, and it didn't work so well. Right, right. It, it, it blew up in his face. But in 2015, he didn't have the Senate on his side. He seems to have the Senate or a bipartisan group of senators on his side yeah. at this point. So it is just the House Republicans who are standing on an island. And I do think but uh, maybe he needs to say, and uh, maybe they don't want to tip their hands, but he has to say sooner or later that – 
I am freezing spending at this level. And that means you are your school district A, school district B, you are going to lose this amount of money. It's done. And that's the same thing with any other discretionary money. But and September 15th, next Friday, is supposed to be that day when a lot of bills. Huge Medicaid payment due. Huge Medicaid payment due. A huge bond payment due. Payroll. Yeah, you got it. So it's just it's like that's supposed to be D-Day. And if the governor allows D-Day to just come and go without any ramifications, then he cried wolf, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think that is a challenge that he's got to figure out what to do with. And he has been super evasive about what he's planning on doing, no matter how many times we ask him. Um, uh, and you're right. He has been very sort of aloof in this budget so far. You talk to anybody in the House, and they sort of say, that's one of the reasons these negotiations aren't moving. And that's maybe that's tr- them trying to, you know, redistribute the blame. But he <laughs> that's hasn't. That's a nice way of saying <laughs> <laughs> Everyone gets blamed equally here. But no, um, uh, you know, he hasn't been um, very forceful in these negotiations. I think that's, uh, you know, uh, a fact you can't get around. So now, yeah, we have the 15th. He either has to, I mean, he could transfer some funds and smooth the whole thing over for another couple of months or however long it takes for us to totally run out of money. Um uh, or, yeah, he could freeze spending. The problem with that is that I think a lot of Republicans would be totally fine with him freezing some spending. Oh, I think they would, too, and I think that's their game plan yeah. to do it because they don't want to take that tough vote. They were elected to take that tough vote, and they don't want to do it. That is their ultimate game plan, I, I am convinced. And, you know, there's um, senators, I mean, calling that hypocrisy. Senate President uh, Pro Tem Joe Scarnati called it hypocrisy in a recent uh, Associated Press interview if that's the case so they're not willing to do it but yeah they're willing to let the governor cut that freeze that money but are they willing to say um yeah my my local school district you're suddenly those kids in there they're suddenly losing their gym teacher they're suddenly losing their art teacher all that other stuff so you know who's going to play that blame game if if that d-day does happen all right, so that's the budget. <laughs> <laughs> that's the all-consuming topic in Harrisburg these right. days. Something else did happen this week, though, just last night, um, inconveniently late. Uh, <laughs> Representative uh, Charlie Dent, very moderate Pennsylvania congressman, uh, announced he's not seeking re-election in 2018. He is stepping down. And now Charlie Dent's an important voice in Pennsylvania politics, also just in national politics. He co-chairs the Tuesday group in Congress, which is sort of the the moderating force in Congress. Uh, There's less and less of them um, as the years have gone on. But, uh, you know, Steve, I think you've covered Dent for a long time. He's, uh, you know, a guy in your coverage area. So what's the significance of this? Uh, The significance of uh, Charlie Dent leaving, I I don't think can can really be put can be put easily into words like you said he is a moderate voice he's become a national moderate voice and um but more importantly he he was a powerful voice he was becoming a powerful voice on the appropriations committee the more the longer you serve in congress or the state legislature the more power you get on committees that sort of thing he's got like a military subcommittee on appropriations yes yeah yeah yeah. so he he has all that stuff but also he he was one of the few congressman, Republican congressman willing to take on the executive branch being uh, President Donald Trump. Donald Trump told him he was ruining the Republican Party. <laughs> that, that's true. So, so his, his departure 
uh, which coincidentally or not came right after one of the um, state house's most conservative lawmakers, Justin Simmons, announced that he would run against Charlie Dent in a primary. Um, I don't think that that had a bearing on the congressman's decision, but it looks like it did. And um, today, another lawmaker from the Lehigh Valley, uh, Ryan McKenzie, announced he's also going to seek that that position, a Republican. So it really does open up Pennsylvania into this national uh, political news cycle. That's going to happen because we have what, three congressmen now, maybe four who won't be seeking re-election, and yeah. uh, we could see a ton of ads on TV and a lot of other stuff. And that's going to be big just, I mean, in terms of, you know, getting more Democrats into Congress. Democrats are really, really hoping this is going to be a wave year for them, uh, like it was for Republicans in, what, 2010. So... I mean, this is going to be, I think, a very, very busy year for all of us in Pennsylvania. Well, yeah, and in 2010, uh, since since 2010, however, all these congressional seats have been moved. Yep. You know, they've been um, reallocated. Yeah. Re- reallocated to be more Republican or or more Democratic. So no matter how. Uh, how it's got got to be a tsunami of epic proportions, for, I think, for any of these Democrats to pick up any of these empty seats just yeah. because of the way that they are um, realigned. And that gets into the whole gerrymandering issue in Pennsylvania, where it has been extremely uh, impactful. We've seen a lot of redrawing. And this, I mean, it's not a partisan thing. Democrats can do it, too. But in this case, it was towards Republicans for the most part. Um, uh, Charlie Dent stepping down. He's one of three, at least three, maybe four. We're losing. We're also going to see a very contested uh, U.S. Senate race with uh, Bob Casey and Lou Barletta. Uh, Pennsylvania is going to be a nasty state to watch. I, I, I have a question for Liz. Liz, yeah. can, can you fill us in on the uh, congressman from Pittsburgh? I really don't know him because I'm on this <laughs> side of the uh, state. But what, what happened to him? What, what happened to him? Yeah. I, uh, I know exactly what you're referring to because I got an email in my inbox that was a statement uh, a couple sentences long about an affair. Yes. Um, I do not know all of the details about this because I haven't seen all the court filings and things, but my understanding is that there was a divorce case in western Pennsylvania um, that was under seal and the Post-Gazette opened to unseal it and it came out that um, the gentleman was interested in getting a deposition for I believe it was Tim Murphy um, who had supposedly had an affair with his wife so this all came out of a a divorce divorce filing. Yes, it was not it yeah. was not his divorce filing. But he was implicated in that divorce. Yeah. So So that could be another... I, I don't... As far as I know or have read, he's still seeking re-election. Yeah. That could change. You also we don't want to say that he's stepping down, but he is having some turmoil. He's yeah. certainly got the spotlight on him For at minute. the moment. Yeah. And then you have Congressman uh, Tom, Tom Marino, who's leaving office to become Donald Trump's... Uh, Drug czar. Drug czar. And there's another congressman. Barletta? Yes. Barletta is leaving to try to get into the Senate. So it's a fun time. The busy time. A busy time. All right. Uh, I think that about does it. Any final thoughts on what happened this week? Well, the House Republicans are supposed to come back on yeah. Monday, perhaps to vote on the uh, budget plan we, we were talking about, and then we'll see what, what else they, they do. Yeah. 
So they haven't been in the building altogether in a while. It's going to be very exciting to have them back. Um, we're all looking forward to it. I think everyone's going to be watching that House Republican caucus room. We're going to, to be outside out the door happens. just trying to bring the news to you. All right. Well, guys, thank you for coming down on this beautiful Friday. Thanks we will. Yeah. Thank you. And we'll be back next week with hopefully some more details. Bye-bye.